Good morning, Arbor Church. Merry Christmas. Turn to somebody next to you and say Merry Christmas. Turn to somebody else and say Merry Christmas. And explain to them why you didn't pick them first. That's awkward. Sorry. No, it is a Merry Christmas. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. The day after is Christmas morning. It is such an exciting time of year. I love seeing little kids coming in this morning going, tomorrow's Christmas Eve, I can't wait, it's so excited. How many of you remember that hope and excitement as a child of Christmas and Christmas Eve and all that it brought? How many of you still have that feeling? I'm glad to see that because in the consumerism and chaos of what they've done with Christmas starting on October 30th now, it just gets a bit crazy. You know, Costco pulls everything out and we're rolling already and there it goes. So I'm excited to see that we still have that spirit amongst us. Um, for those of you who may be here for the first time, my name is Scott Hetherington. Um, I'm on one of the speaking rotations here with Jake and some other people that speak, and I'm thrilled to be up here speaking with you again today and sharing with you and continuing this wonderful series that we're in, a little short series that Jake's going to wrap up tomorrow at our Christmas Eve series, um, Christmas Eve service around hope. And uh, Jake set the stage for us last week, and we're looking at hope for our past, hope for our present, and hope for our future. And Jake last week did a great job of starting us off by examining the lineage of Jesus with all its flaws and greatness and blunders and wonders and all the characters involved in that lineage and highlighted the fact that we are not defined by our past, but rather we are defined by our hope in God and hope in him who is bigger than our past, Jesus, that savior that was born, the reason we have this remembrance of Christmas of when he was born, whether he was actually born at that time of year and then that date, it's the remembrance of what we have for him. And he is more than our present. He is more than our future. He is more than our past. He is our eternal hope. And that's what I hope we key in on today as we continue this series on hope. But let's start with the word of prayer. God, I thank you once again for the honor to be able to stand here and speak, Lord. I pray that again you would move me out of the way. You know I've got my notes here, but God, we know that your spirit and your heart has something that you want to share today. So I pray that you would use me as just a conduit for your words, God. I pray you would give us all ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and then feet and hands that want to put into action what you tell us here today, God. We thank you for your Savior, for that wonderful gift you gave us in a stable on a starry night. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Christmas is a great time to talk about hope, especially the way that some of us think about hope in our, in our modern times, all right? Hope for those presents, all right? And how presents under the tree, and we're talking about our sermon today, hope for our present. Get it? Present, gift. You see a little play on words right there? None of you think that's funny. That's a bad dad joke. That's one more of those dad jokes that my kids would be rolling their eyes at. But I remember as a kid how much hope I had in the present. The things that appeared under the tree, wrapped. It didn't matter to me if it was wrapped in Sunday morning comic strips, brown paper, ornate you know, decorations, a ribbon or a bow. I just loved when presents started to appear under the Christmas tree. All right? But that really wasn't my favorite part. All right? Long before presents appeared under the tree, something happened at our home that marked for me as a child the beginning of Christmas. It was the arrival of the Sears or JCPenney Christmas catalog. Yes, I'm dating myself. Long before there was Google or Amazon, young people, all right, there was this thing called mail and catalogs. 
And the Sears Robart catalog would show up, and the JCPenney catalog would show up, and in the back of it in all their glossy pages were all these pictures of every toy imaginable you could think of, all right? Nothing better to spark the warmth of greed, envy, and covetousness inside the heart of a child around Christmas time. And there's nothing better than getting that Sears catalog, a cup of hot chocolate, a fire, a black magic marker, and going through and circling everything in that catalog that I was certain my parents or Santa Claus would get for me and put under the tree. And then as the gifts would get put under the tree, you know, over the next few days and weeks, I would sit there and stare at them. I'd look at the shape, size. I might pick them up and try to do the weight ratio test. I might do the shake test all building this hope and anticipation that on Christmas morning when we came down and opened our gifts, I would not be disappointed, all right? And I would have in those gifts the very things I had circled in that catalog. And I'd hope that I wouldn't be disappointed and open up to find some sweater, all right, from my aunt or a pair of socks from grandma and grandpa. No, what really mattered most to me all right, is the hope I held in that, and then when I did open up that gift, and I did open up that present, it would actually be the Red Rider Carbon Action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and something that told time. <laughs> and I did get that one year, to quote one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. And while Dad was excited about the glow of whatever you wanted to call it in the window, all right, I was excited about the glow of the Christmas tree and the gifts that are around it. And I'm here to talk to you today about hope in our present. But a present that isn't found under a tree, a present, all right, that is everlasting, that doesn't go away, all right, a present that doesn't need to be wrapped up or made any better looking than it was the day it came to earth in the form of a child. And as we think about hope in our present, we need to rethink the word hope. Our society today thinks of hope more in the terms of wishing, wishful thinking, right? I hope you have a safe journey to wherever you're going. I hope the weather is good for you. I hope the Seahawks beat the Chiefs tonight. Thank you, amen to that, right? I hope I get the gift I really wanted. No, hope in the biblical sense is not wishful thinking. Hope in the biblical sense is a certainty. And the way we have that certainty, though, is not just in hope itself, but in faith, and faith, all right, in a baby, in a child, in a savior we call Jesus. See, the key thing I want you to walk away with today is this. Hope for our present is wrapped in our faith in Jesus. Hope for our present is wrapped in our faith in Jesus. And that is essential whether you're looking at hope for the past, hope for the future, or hope for the present, it begins, it ends, it centers on the person, the child, the Savior, Jesus. And we can't go forward in any message without centering it on that truth first. And as we look at our story today that we're going to look at, I hope that you come back to that part and remember that key thing, that our hope for our present is wrapped by our faith in Jesus. So we're going to look at a story of hope in the present through the eyes of a man named Joseph. Not Joseph the Old Testament, Joseph of the New Testament. A carpenter from a region called Nazareth. 
who was part of one of the biggest scandals to hit that region ever. A man who created things out of wood, a builder, a master craftsman, who found himself in the midst of a chaotic nine months to two years that none of us would probably want to walk through. And I would dare say that his Christmas story is more profound and chaotic than any of us have ever experienced. And the display of hope that he showed through that present tense of what he was living in is something we can learn. And we're going to look at three key elements that I believe Joseph shows us in his story of hope that we can walk away from today rather than just having this wishful thinking, this hopeful idea of, oh, it's all good, Jesus, God is good, it's going to be great. While those are all powerful statements, there's some things we need to center those on. If we're going to put our faith in Jesus to create this hope, there's three things we're going to look at in the life of Joseph. And it's a very short life. We don't know a lot more about him other than what we're reading and looking at today. But I believe the role he played was significant, and we can learn something from it. Let's turn to our first passage, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Some context. In the Jewish times, there's a time called betrothal. We get our modern terms engagement from that. But in the days of Joseph and Mary, a betrothal was a contract that could not be broken. It was basically marriage before you consummated the marriage in a ceremony and after. And it was during this time Joseph was betrothed to Mary that she became pregnant. And it was then that he had a choice to make according to the Jewish law. Because according to the Jewish law, that was grounds for immediately breaking the betrothal and Joseph walking away, no guilt, no shame. So it's a story of a teenage girl who becomes pregnant. Claims she did not have sex with anybody, but was conceived through an act of God. And not only was she pregnant with a child, but she was pregnant with a child she was claiming that would be the Messiah. The Savior and hope for all the Jewish hopes, pressed, past, present, and future. Now, I, I don't know about you, and I don't know what some crazy stories you've heard in your life that you've run into, and you can hear a lot of them on the internet these days, but that, in its day and time, was fodder for news. If there had been Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and everything we have going on now, that would have been posted everywhere. Comments would have been lit up. Fake news, real news, not news, whatever. It would have been everywhere, and it probably was everywhere in Nazareth, by word of mouth and rumors, and people were talking. So much so that Mary was sent away to live with her Aunt Elizabeth for a term. 
And it was in that time that you can imagine Joseph's mind is whirling around going, what do I do? And it's in that doubt, as Joseph's at home one night sleeping, wrestling with what he should do in this situation, that an angel of the Lord appeared to him and gave him these words and reassured him, take Mary as your wife. She's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Her child will be the savior of the world, the Messiah, and you are to name him Jesus. And in that moment, Joseph had a choice. And we find the first thing that Joseph did to give us an example of hope in our present. Our first key thing. Hope in our present. Trust what God tells us, not what our feelings tell us. Hope in our present. Trust what God tells us, not what our feelings tell us. There is a word of the Lord that we put our trust in. It's not to invalidate our feelings. It's not that our feelings aren't legitimate. And it's not that feelings aren't valid. But feelings don't validate truth all the time. Feelings come and go. We talk about feelings in my elementary school with students all the time. We have a thing called the mood meter. There's a red zone for anger, frustration. There's a yellow zone for happiness and excitement. There's a blue zone for sadness. There's a green zone for just chilling out and being peaceful. And we've taught this so much in our school that we use the color code. And I look at kids, are you in the red right now? And if you walked in our school, like, what are you saying? Are you in the red right now? Are you in the blue right now? And kids know right away what we're talking about, where they're feeling. But they also know that while feelings aren't bad, and it's okay to feel anger at times and justice for anger. It's okay to feel sad at times. That feelings are not the thing that should drive your decisions because oftentimes in the moment of our feelings and decisions, we make bad choices. And so we help students learn to regulate emotions, recognize emotions, label them, understand what their feelings are telling them, and then look more at some things going around with those feelings to make a decision. Now that's a great concept to teach children. In the same time, they still resolve their issues at recess by punching one another, (laughs) pulling somebody's hair, kicking somebody, all right? Calling somebody stupid, the S word. <gasps> he said the S word. And I don't know what the S word is when they come in the office. It could be stupid, it could be shut up, it could be, well, the other one. <laughs> and it's up to me to discover all that as a principal. But the point is this. Joseph was wrestling with all these feelings. Imagine the feelings. Doubt. Do, it, Mary's pregnant. By the, think about that story that you're asked to trust. And even when an angel shows up, you think, well, if an angel would come tell me something, Scott, then I would believe it. If God would just come to throw me, if an angel would walk here in here and tell me stuff, yeah, then I could have better hope. Really? You think that took care of all of Joseph's anxiety? So Mary really is conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's kind of tripping me out. You really are going to be the earthly father to the Messiah, by the way, who's God incarnate. Imagine the weight of that. No, no, great. Now I really can't mess up as a dad. All right, I've read the What to Expect When Expecting book and that's nowhere in there. Your kid will know your every thought and motive and heart. And he created you through Adam and Eve. There's no pressure there, Dad, to mess up. You can't hide any gift under the tree from that day forward. I wonder how many birthdays he spoiled on accident, Jesus. You're getting a new saddle. Shh, don't say that. All right. Pressure feelings. But what we saw Joseph do is he put his trust in what he was told by God, 
not in what he was feeling only. The first step in finding hope in the present is accept that the Lord is telling you the truth. Even in the midst of chaos, confusion, doubts, and fears, do you trust more in what God says or more in your feelings? I know for me, I've trusted more in my feelings at times. Sometimes it steered me well, many times it didn't steer me well. It does not mean we invalidate our feelings. It simply means we go to God to validate our feelings in what he tells in Scripture. Because God will not tell you something that contradicts himself. I meet with men that are on the verge of divorce or going through divorce. I meet with men that struggle with different ideas of what is happening in their marriage or their life. And I am no expert, and I am no expert at all. But I tell them this. God will not tell you to do something that contradicts what he tells you not to do in the Bible. Your feelings may tell you one thing, but the truth of God says something different. And you always go back to the truth. And for Joseph, I guarantee you he struggled with feeling he should leave, but he went back to the truth that God said, this is the Savior child. I need you to be the Father. And Joseph stepped up and trusted in the Word of God more than his feelings. Let's fast forward nine months. I can't imagine what those nine months were like for Mary and Joseph. Mary went away to be with Elizabeth. Joseph stayed in Nazareth. I want you to picture what that looked like for Joseph during that time. Did he lose friends? Did he lose family members? Did people think he was crazy? What names was he called? How was he teased by his buddies at work? Did his business take a hit as a carpenter? It was a scandal, folks. And the next time Joseph appears on the scene is nine months later. Mary is very, very pregnant. And we pick the story up in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David which he found out from Jake last week in his sermon. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. Debate over whether the baby was actually born in an inn, then they had to move out, or whether the baby was born later in a stable. The point is this. They're traveling by donkey across the country with a woman that's eight to nine months pregnant. That is not an easy journey. My second born son, Zach, we were living in Montana at a camp 90 miles from the nearest hospital. All right? My wife at the time, Ashley, all right, was six months pregnant. Yeah, it's probably crazy to go to the mountains and work at a camp. Zach was supposed to be born sometime in August. Around early June, she started having some contractions. It was false labor. We stayed at camp. Late June, she went into labor, 90 miles from the nearest hospital. We get in the car. My friend's driving. I'm in the back seat. We're driving down this bumpy mountain road, bouncing back and forth all over the road, trying not to have a baby in the back seat of the car on Boulder River Road. I'm being of such great help because everybody that knows me and knows I get car sick, so I'm in the backseat throwing up out the back window. I am the helpful husband father in the moment. 
Praying to God the baby doesn't come and I threw up all over that mess too. We made it to the hospital and the baby was born. The moral of the story is driving a bumpy road, all right, with a pregnant woman about to deliver is not great conditions for helping the baby not being delivered. I can't imagine what Mary and Joseph went through on the back of a donkey traveling through the countryside. And then when they get to Bethlehem, the baby is here to be born. And Joseph has to go through that and deliver the child and then find a place for them to stay. There's no room. So he moves them into a smelly stable. And he fashions a crib out of a manger. And with his callous carpenter hands, places the savior of the world on a bed of straw wrapped in cloth. I imagine his perspective right then was pretty narrow and frustrated and exhausted and tired. And I bet his perspective was, what the heck is happening here? I get that you want me to be the father of this child. What is going on here? Brings us to our next key point. Hope in our present believes in God's promises, not in our perspectives. Hope in our present believes in God's promises, not in our perspectives. Joseph's perspective was, I'm in a stable. My wife just delivered. The son of God is laying in a bed of straw. I don't know what's next. The promise was, you will marry marry her. You will have a child of God. He will be the savior of the world. How do we reconcile those two things? Because we put our belief in the promise, not in a perspective. And I think Jesus knew that that moment Joseph needed something to bolster his belief. So off to the side, stable scene happening here. Across the countryside, over some hills, we find some shepherds. And Jesus is going to say something to these shepherds that will come back to Joseph to bolster his belief in the promise rather than his perspective. And oftentimes God is operating on the side of our life, but we can't see it because we're right here. Let's look at Luke chapter two, verses eight through 14. In the same region, there are some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold. Isn't it funny how angels always appear to us and say, don't be afraid? I think they have to say that because we'd all be afraid. Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good and great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Jewish talk, the Messiah. They didn't combine those words lightly. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Messiah has been born. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. Hey, shepherds, the Messiah has been born. He's in a stable right over there, wrapped in some old rags, laying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared, the angel, appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he pleased. See, God's promises were not only delivered to Joseph, they were delivered to some shepherds. Those shepherds then traveled across the hills, showed up at the stable, bowed down, and began to worship Jesus. God will find a way to bolster your belief in his promises, 
if you don't fall trapped to your own perspective. Because you don't know what he's saying to other people in your life. You don't know who he's going to bring into your life at the moment you need it most. Have you ever been there, stuck on that corner of hope and disappointment? When you want to believe that what God has told you is true, when you want to hold on to his promises, I will never leave you or forsake you, all things work together for those who trust God. But the perspective right now is, it's a mess. It's a mess like your living room floor 20 minutes after all the presents were opened. You know, you spend like two days ornately wrapping all those gifts and putting them all nice and neat under the bows and the ribbons, and then kids just rip through everything. I don't know how your house does it, but we take turns, we open one gift at a time, just because I'm anal and controlling like that. And we carefully put all the wrapping paper in a garbage bag, so it's not spread all over the living room. And if you know me, you probably know that's true. But for some of you, it's chaos, and it's happening everywhere. And then the kids are more interested in the boxes or something else than the gift. All those funny nuances of how crazy things can get and we lose perspective of what it really is all about. Joseph did did not do that. He kept his present hope by putting his belief in the promise rather than his own perspective. It could have been focused on the chaos and the confusion. Instead, I believe he centered his hope on the belief that this child is the savior of the world. And no matter what's happening right now, I'm going to make it through this. God will provide a way. That doesn't mean doubt didn't creep in. That doesn't mean feelings didn't escalate. But he centered back on the hope of the Savior. The faith in his earth son, Jesus. In order to have this hope in the present, though, We can't just anchor to trust in God's word, all right, belief in his promises. There's a third anchor we have to drop, and that relies on us. If you know anything about me, you know I've said for a long time, and I get it from my spiritual mentor who's not with us anymore, Ken Hutcherson. He's always used to say, pray like it's all up to God, work like it's all up to you. Faith without works is dead. And so the next thing that we learn from Joseph is this, an action thing. And I want you to notice that Joseph just didn't sit around with his hand folded in a pious position praying all works out. No, he did some things. I'd like to look us back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 24 through 25. Back to that message the angel had just delivered to Joseph when he found out Mary was pregnant. We're going to look at that passage. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Underline that. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Here we find Joseph responding to what the Lord told him to do with action. He did what he was told. He was obedient. Like that old hymn, no trust and obey. He took Mary home to be his wife. He withstood the storm of the chaos and the slander. He said, we're going to name the child Jesus. He created a home for Mary. He continued to do what the Lord told him to do. Joseph was a man of action. Joseph had to take action later because after Jesus was born and they went back to Nazareth, their home somewhere, we read in the scripture that three wise men appeared and showed up. The wise men did not show up to the stable. The wise men showed up to Jesus' home. 
And they brought gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and they worshiped Jesus. And before they did that, they had met with King Herod and told him of this king of the Jews that had been born. And Herod got worried and scared, and he sent out a command to kill all the infants in the area under the age of two. And this decree went out. So now, not only had Joseph survived the scandal of a pregnant, engaged teenage girl, not only had survived the journey to Bethlehem and the delivery of a child in the stable, he now had to stand here and figure out, Herod's looking to kill our son. What do I do now? And so we fast forward now, almost a year later, or months later, and we read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, when they had gone, when the wise men had left, an angel appeared again to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Our last point to learn from Joseph. Our hope in the present lies in doing what God says, not doubting what God says. Our hope in the present lies in doing what God says, not doubting what God says. I want to stop and take a breath here. I want you to think about Joseph again. I want you to think about this man, this carpenter, who crafted things out of wood, who had the skill to carve and take a block of wood that looked like nothing to somebody else and turn it into some ornate bowl or to build a table or a bench to frame a home. I've always been fascinated with carpentry. My, my grandfather was a master carpenter. My brother JJ is an architect. My son, Zach, is studying architecture. It runs in our family. My brother, Mark, is a great craftsman. I'm not so much a great craftsman. I can talk about great craftsmanship. They can build it. I think it's ironic or intentional that our God chose a carpenter who would understand that what looked like something here could be something masterful in the right hands. And that our God in heaven entrusted his son, the Messiah, to the calloused, skillful hands of a carpenter who could withstand the storm of a surprise pregnancy, a scandal in Nazareth, stay true to her, don't leave, ride a donkey to Bethlehem, no room to sleep in, find a stable, deliver the child, make a bed in the manger, Flee from Herod, flee your homeland, leave Nazareth, leave your family, go live in Egypt where Israel had escaped and never would go back to Egypt again because they were slaves there. Joseph. True, steadfast, action. He trusted in the word of God. He believed in the promises of what was to come and he did what God told him rather than waffle in his own doubts. Oftentimes, when I find myself in those situations, I can suffer from paralysis by analysis. I try to figure out this, I try to figure out that, I try to do this, this, and that. I want to get expert opinions, I want to get everything done. And sometimes God says, look, just do. Just do this. It makes no sense now. Trust me, believe my promise, and do what I'm asking you to do. That bolsters our hope in the present. 
See, hope, in essence, isn't built for the present tense. Hope, the word is built for future tense. So hope in the present is kind of like this paradox. Hope is a futuristic term. It's faith that we really have in our present. The hope we have is in God and what he says he will be doing for us. But the problem is we put all our hope and faith in the wrong things. In Psalm 42.5, we find this verse. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. We forget that the reason we can have faith and hope in our presence isn't because of us. It's because of who is with us in the present, our God. He is the present. He is the past. He is the future. And because we can put our faith in him and what he says and what he says we will do, that's how hope is created. Hope is a component of faith. Faith is the bigger idea. For by faith are ye saved, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. We put our faith in a child born in a manger. We put our faith in the child that man became that got crucified on a cross. We put our faith in a risen Savior. We put our faith in the Word. And out of that, hope is generated. Because God is present. He has always been, he will always be, and he's right there with you right now. No matter what the word and rumors all around you are saying, no matter what words have just come out of the doctor's mouth, no matter what hatred or hurt is coming out of a loved one towards you, no matter what disappointment you're hearing from a child, the perspective may seem bleak. The perspective may seem down. But your hope is this. God is there. He's right there. And he provides a way out. And he's amazing. His promises are good. And you can trust in them. You can sink them just like Joseph did. There is hope in our present. Because of the faith we have in a Savior. And that is all we need. Today we look at the story of a carpenter who did some pretty simple but profound things. If we want hope in our present, we follow the footsteps of Joseph, who I no doubt wondered along the way. But Joseph trusted what God said, believed in God's promises, and did what God said. The way we keep our hope in our present is you make sure your present is wrapped in your faith of God. Because your present, my friends, as we remember on this Christmas, your present for all of you, the gift for all of you, is the Savior, our God, who sent his Son to our earth to live as a man, to become our sacrifice, so that we, all of us, no matter our past, no matter our lineage, no matter how bleak we think our future is, no matter how chaotic our present may be, our God came to this earth to be your present. Have you fully unwrapped that gift? Or are you still just looking at it at a distance under the tree? Because when you unwrap that gift of God in your life, it's the only gift you will ever need. And you know what you'll end up doing? You'll give it away. 
give it away, give it away, and give it away. Because hope on our present is the gift of eternal life in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope for you, as you sit here today, that you have opened that gift and you've partaken in that gift. And if you have not, we would love to talk to you more about that gift. Joseph, a carpenter by trade, a man of God by circumstance. Joseph, a master craftsman, a father to Jesus by choice. What's your choice today, my friends? Let's pray.